Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been And I felt what you're feeling And I don't want to get in your Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special podcast interview with my friend Lois Strachan. We're going to be talking today about um, authors with disabilities, in particular today talking about visual impairment. So let me tell you a little bit about Lois. Lois is a disability advocate, the author of five books, a motivational speaker, podcaster, blogger, and is sometime a rock musician. And she is totally blind, having lost her sight at the age of 21 due to diabetic retinopathy. Highlights of her quote-unquote ordinary life include reaching number one on the South African rock music charts, being elected as district governor of Toastmasters International Southern Africa District, and accidentally almost standing on Nelson Mandela's toes. Her books include a series of illustrated children's books, The Adventures of Missy Mouse, and her memoir, A Different Way of Seeing, A Blind Woman's Journey of Living an Ordinary Life in an Extraordinary Way, which achieved bestseller status on Amazon. She is currently busy with her sixth book, written from the perspective of her her beloved guide dog, Fiji, and is also busy with the audio version of her memoir, both of which she hopes to publish during 2021. Lois lives in Cape Town, South Africa, with her husband and a house full of dogs, one, one who is her co-author guide dog, Fiji. Okay, so let me just say, if you have any doubts about your ability to do big things, let me just tell you, this podcast episode is definitely going to reframe your mindset on that because if we can have a a, a blind woman, a visually impaired woman come in and, and talk to us about all of these amazing things that she has been able to accomplish, then you can do it too. So welcome, Lois. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to chat again, Alexa. It's lovely to be here. So, you know, I guess the first question I would ask is, what inspired you? You know, you lost your your sight at 21 years old. Um, this could have been a, a an opportunity for you to completely shut down, to you know, to instead of dreaming big and going for big things. There's many people who would have gotten lost in in self pity, for lack of a better word. How how did you take something like this and 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 go on to do such amazing things? I think. I realized very early on, actually, within a matter of hours of being declared blind, that I had a choice, that I could go home and give up and be angry and dependent and depressed for the rest of my life, in which case I'd basically been handing my future over to my blindness and saying, it's all up to you, I can't do anything anymore. Or I could choose to take back control of my life and go out and see what was still possible for me. And that was very definitely the, the choice that I made. And I've never been disappointed in finding how much is still possible for me to do. 
No, oh, that's wonderful. I think I think mindset for many of us is one of the most important things that guides us. Um, you know, with with my story, people often ask me similarly, how how did you take such a tragic incident of losing a child and turn it into something good? And I think like you just described, it's it's a choice. It's a choice we make and how we're going to move forward and how we're going to accept the things that have come into our life and how we keep on living. Um, despite that, or in spite of those those incidents, um, so you you share your story a lot. How how do you what do you think about the importance of sharing your story to help others overcome the challenges in their own life? I think there's several things and several audiences that get a different message each. I share my story to help people who have no contact mm. with someone who is blind just to understand how I do the things I do, the techniques, the tools that are available to me. Because I believe that if we don't bridge that gap of understanding, it it just leads to more isolation. And mm. we really need to work to break down the barriers that stop inclusion of persons with disabilities into society and into the workplace. So that's one important message that I try to bring across in my books. And I also believe that there's a, a second group, and that is people who do have contact with someone with a visual impairment. Because for someone who's perhaps going through the experience of losing their sight, often they feel isolated. They, they, they feel very alone in the experience, and there are very few resources that they can turn to. So it's a way of helping people to get a, a different picture mm -hmm. of what is possible for both for them themselves and their family, their friends, their colleagues, and, and the people around them. Yeah. And I think it's important as well that people know that there really is so much that we can do despite not having sight. I can't agree with you more. I think um, for all of those reasons that you shared, but it's so important for people who are struggling through what, whatever the issue is, whether it's a, a disability or a traumatic event or anything like that. I think it's it's so important to have people who are shining light into the world and saying, you know, not necessarily saying it's going to be a piece of cake, it's going to be easy, it's going to be an, an easy road for you, just go down it, but to say, you know what? I can do this, you can do this, and 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 here's and here's why it's important to do it. So when it comes to writing books, at what point did you decide that you wanted to be an author? And why did you start with the children's book series? The children's books really happened by accident. <laughs> I was learning to use the technology that I use to make a computer accessible to me. Uh, my computer teacher said to me, the best way for you to learn is just to type something. Huh. And I didn't want to transcribe other people's work. I didn't want to type nonsense. And I sat down and I started creating and I created song lyrics, poems, short stories. And amongst those short stories were four stories about a blind mouse who was engaging with the world around her using her other senses. And looking back now, after many, many years of originally writing the books, I realized that what I was actually doing was just trying to process 
the tools and techniques that I was starting to use as a newly blind person. And I did nothing with those books for probably about 15 years. Mm. And then everything started happening and I, it was a remarkable experience to actually hold a copy of my books in my hand for the first time. I can imagine. You know, um, in, in some ways, it's, it's an interesting comparison because when we come into the publishing world, all of us feel like we may not have a lot of vision or a lot of insight into, um, into, into what's about to happen. But would you share with us how, how approaching the writing, publishing and marketing a book as a, as a, as a blind author is different and also the same as someone who is not visually impaired? I think the, the process is very much the same. What needs to happen is the same for me as it is for someone who is sighted. Mm -hmm. What may be different is that there are some aspects of that that I need to ask other people for help. And, you know, I, I still don't know what the covers of my books look like because I have to rely on people who I trust to make them look good and to represent what I would like my book to look like and the, the message that I'd like the cover to bring across. But apart from that, it really is much the same as anyone else. You know, I have to create the book and do all the, 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 the myriad of tasks that get involved in that. Mm -hmm. And then both with publishing and marketing, I need to know what I am able to do myself and also be graceful <laughs> and gracious to myself mm -hmm. in acknowledging that it is okay to ask someone to help with the bits that I can't do. And I mean, after all, we do that as authors. All of us yeah. need to reach out and ask for help. We can't all be experts at everything. Right. I think for me, individually as a human being i have realized that i learn by doing so the journey for each book has been very different mm -hmm. i published the four children's books together at the same time and then there were a number of years before i published the first edition of the memoir and i learned a huge amount through the experience of the, the children's books that then made the memoir a little bit easier and then in producing the, the the second edition of the memoir last year, again, I had learned so much in those intervening years that suddenly there were different questions, different things that I wanted to look at doing. And it just, it's such an evolving process. And now with the sixth book that I'm working on and with the audio book, again, I'm taking on new challenges that I hadn't looked at before. Mm -hmm. I do realize for myself that I tend to overthink things, which means that sometimes I take a lot longer to do things than perhaps I ought to. So I, it's something I need to definitely not think too much about, yeah. but I do eventually get there. You know, it's a, it's a good point. We we talk a lot about how self-publishing doesn't necessarily me mean that you have to do everything on your own. And, you know, in your case, you were 
forced to rely on other people, but I think it's a good message for all authors to realize that there are just some things, as you mentioned, we are not experts at everything. There are some things that we should just um, rely on the expertise of others. And I can imagine um, that it's even more difficult for you because you don't, you're not able to go out and look at portfolios. You're not able to, to do all of those things. What kind of support system do you have in place to help you make those types of decisions? I've always had the most incredible support system through for my family, my friends, and through a network in the various communities that I'm working in, be it speaking, be it writing, be it publishing. I, I am surrounded by the most remarkable people who really do go over and above the call of duty mm-hmm. to help me when I need it. And I am constantly astounded at the generosity of yeah. the people around me to to help me achieve the goals that I set for myself. That's really nice. Um, on that topic, if if there's someone listening who who does have some sort of a disability that is making um, publishing difficult for them, or and and they don't have a support network like that that is is helping make those decisions, helping go through that process, are there any resources that you have come across in your journey that that can be helpful to someone with a disability? I think there's a number of of groups and um, teams on Facebook. And, I, you know, I, I don't really, have, I've never struggled to find mm-hmm. communities to help me. I'm part of mastermind groups on writing, on speaking, and many of the speakers that I know are also involved in writing books. But I think Facebook and communities like that, there is so much information out there if we just have the courage to look for it. Yeah. And I am constantly finding communities online that I can drop a post and say, help, I am struggling with this. Can anybody offer advice? Yeah. And what's the worst thing that can happen is that I don't get any responses. To right, that. right. In which case I'll ask on a different group. But I very seldom have got to that point. No, I agree with you. I think there are so many resources out there and um, you know, community for us, for the Women in Publishing Summit and for the Publisher Podcast. It's a it's a huge part of, of what we are putting out there because of the same. It doesn't matter what the, the struggle is that you're having, having a community of people that you can reach out to and ask questions of and feel confident that you're going to get good answers and supportive answers. It's, it's, a, it's a really important part of this uh, publishing journey and writing journey. Um, so you've written t- books in two completely different genres. And this is interesting. I actually have numerous people in our community who are writing memoirs and children's books at the same time or have the goal of publishing one and then the other. Um, in your, I'd like to talk about marketing and what that process is like for you because we get the question all the time, should I rebrand under two different um, you know, platforms so that I have my children's book under one place and my memoir under another place and there's lots of different answers for a lot of different reasons on this um you you branded everything under just your name and promote them all to the same audience correct i do yes yes and i would i would gather that you're able to do that because even though it's a children's book and it's a and it's a memoir they're both focused on um educating 
um, and and helping people, either educating people about those with visual disabilities or helping people through the process if they're in that journey, like you described before. Is is that true? If you were writing um, a, a book that was on a completely different topic, would you, do you think you would, I guess, let me ask it this way. What are the pros and cons? And would you do it the same way again? I think it very much does depend on what my writing project is. Mm -hmm. And I guess if I were to look at branching out into a related but different topic, I give a lot of thought to that. You know, as, as you said, the books that I've written are all based around awareness of disability, awareness of the tools and techniques, the, the way I do things and just aimed at different age groups. Mm -hmm. And the book I'm working on currently is similarly going to, there's going to be a crossover of my audience there, people interested in learning about visual impairment, about guide dogs and things like that. But there will also be people who are not entirely in that group, people who just want to read animal stories and things like that. I don't actually know. Uh -huh. I'd have to give some thoughts to that one, but I, I've always believed that I am my own brand mm -hmm. and that working within that space gives me more freedom. It, it gives me more freedom to do what I need to do and to, to work in different areas. Mm -hmm. If I were to brand everything under, for example, the name of each of the books, I think that would also, for me, would create more work Right. that would be duplicating. And I think a lot of that is that, as I say, it's, it's a similar audience. Yeah. If I do something that is totally different, I might rethink that. Right. And go, well, if I start writing about resilience or something like that, how would I approach that? I don't really know at this stage because I tend to be quite focused. So I'm yeah, focusing, no, I, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with you uh, completely because you have created a brand around you and your platform of this whole thing. So it it doesn't even matter like if you were to change genres to a fiction book about about a girl who who lost her sight at 21 or something like that. Like I think in general, because you've built the brand around this topic and because you've built a brand of an audience who is interested in this topic in one way or another, they'll be interested in in more than one type of of book and genre and all those types of things. So I think you're exactly right. If you're focused on on building yourself as a brand and your topic as a brand and it's not all over the place. I think when it comes to people who have you know greatly different topics like they write rom-com and then they come out with a you know a a a very deep, deep um, um, memoir, those are difficult to sell to the same audience. <laughs> But again, you know, even even saying that, I think my journey, the the way I choose to do things, is right for me. Right, right. And I think it's very important that we do as authors know that we must do what's right for us. Yeah. And just because somebody, another person, does it a different way, doesn't mean that it's not right. 
That's an excellent point. And and one of the beautiful things about self-publishing is that there are so many different ways to do everything. And you can't, you know, say, oh, because Alexa said, or oh, because Lois said, then I have to do it this way. Like it really, uh, we talk a lot about goals and um, and creating those goals around what you're trying to achieve and the idea of focusing down and 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 really being clear on what you're trying to accomplish. And I, I think you're 100%. If you, if you have, correct on that, if you have your goals in mind, if you have your, your vision in place, I'm um, sorry, that was a bad use of word there, but if you... <laughs> Not at all. And in fact, if I can just interject and say, I think it's one of the things that I struggle most with is I use visual words. In fact, yeah. I would probably class myself as a visual learner, mm-hmm. which means that I've, I've, I've always worked more on being the, the visual side of things. I have no problem with people using visual words. In fact, most people get uncomfortable by the number of visual-based words that yeah. I use. Uh, I, I can imagine. <laughs> I, can, I wonder if people think that you're messing with them. <laughs> when you're like... Can't wait to see you again. Exactly. <laughs> <Come> on, <Lois. laughs> oh, I know. Well, it's, you know, on this, this is not related to writing or publishing, but it is an interesting topic in the idea of inclusivity and diversity and publishing and all of these things. You know, it is, it is murky waters right now because there have been so many people completely thrown under the bus for, for using terms and descriptions that are now deemed uh, inappropriate or hurtful. And so, you know, it is, it is one of the benefits of, of sharing other people's voices is hearing the different perspectives and realizing that it's not, there is no one rule on any of this stuff. Yes, there's the PC terms, but people will, people will respond to things differently. Um, you know, how I, I would, I would just ask you to say like, when you're, when you're, we can narrow it down to the publishing world in general and to other authors and people that connect with you. Um, and do you have any advice for people who are scared to even talk about things like this or scared to use um, terms that, you know, would be offensive or any of those things? I think the most important thing to be aware of is that there are very few people who are offended if you Mm. ask. Mm -hmm. Um, I would far rather that someone say to me, what term do you prefer? Right. Rather than going, so you're blind or um, uh, maybe I should have used visually impaired. And I I think it's, it is difficult. I I won't make any... uh, it is. It, it's very difficult because there are so many different opinions, mm-hmm. so many different preferences that people have. And in some communities, the words that one chooses are very important. Yes. And it's just a question of doing a little bit of research, whether that's just reaching out and asking or researching online, although I do sometimes question exactly how much of the information that we see online is verifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the important thing really is to just reach out and ask. Yeah. And I, I am constantly, it's one of the things that I love about the podcast that I run, working with people across the spectrum of disabilities, is that I do constantly learn and I get greater insights. One of which I made use of when I went back and did the second edition of my memoir, 
because one of the terms that I used in the original book was talking about someone being wheelchair bound. Mm. And I didn't know at the time that I wrote it that it's not a particularly good term to use because a wheelchair is not something that a person is captive in. In fact, it's something that liberates. Oh. And doing the second edition gave me the chance to rework the the sentence in such a way that I was more comfortable with it, knowing yeah. that it was better better worded. I do want to ask you about the benefits of releasing a second edition in a moment, but before we totally leave this particular topic, I wanted to ask you um, the name of your podcast, because um, interestingly, we've been talking a lot about diversity and publishing of late and um, and using sensitivity readers. So if you want to be inclusive in your writing and, and, and including characters that are not like you, um, including characters with disabilities, all of those things, I think this would be a great place for anyone who is considering writing about someone with a disability to come and get more information and 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 hear a bit more about it i assume based on what you just said correct <laughs> well my my podcast is based purely around the concept of accessible travel oh. which is travel for persons with disabilities so i'm not certain that my podcast would be the best place to go to help people unless they are talking about their characters mm-hmm. um, traveling around and some of the challenges that the travelers might face. But there are certainly a lot of podcasts out there that deal with the realities of living with a disability and thriving with a disability in, in a, a lot of different areas. So, you know, if anyone is interested, it really is not hard to find. And I'd be happy to help anyone if they are looking for something specifically. I can certainly put them in the right direction. Good to know. So if anyone reaches out, we'll send them your direction. <laughs> Perfect. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, releasing the second edition. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the reason that a lot of people do this is because uh, of exactly like what you said, you realize that you made some mistakes that you'd like to correct. I know when we put out the second edition of Sunshine After the Storm, it was because I had learned so much more about self-publishing from the time that I did it. It needed a new cover. It needed a new um, interior layout, all of those types of things. So at what point in time did you decide to do a second um, second edition? What was that process like for you? I decided to do a second edition essentially when I reread the memoir prior to starting the process of converting it into an audiobook. Mm. And when I read it, I went, it's now three years old and it's so out of date. Uh-huh. And so that was really the, the driving force behind starting the project. But as I did it, again, because I was doing a lot of research and learning a lot about the publishing industry, I also realized some of the things that I'd done wrong. The cover, not really being one of them, but I wanted a different cover. I wanted to update the information Mm -hmm. and make it more accurate because I realized there was a lot that I labeled as impossible when I first wrote the book that three years down the line was not only possible, but will certainly become part of my everyday life. Mm. So I didn't want to put out a book that was no longer accurate as an audio book. And it just became a much bigger project than I planned. I was (laughs) sitting in a hotel in Kolkata in India 
reading through the book, making notes, and when I realized I had 22 pages of notes in Microsoft <laughs> Word, I realized that maybe it was going to take me a little bit longer than I'd initially anticipated. But um, it was such a fun project to do, yeah. just in reassessing. It gave me a chance to really look at how much I had learned and grown uh -huh. over those three years. So that was a great kind of benchmark for me to look at. Uh, oh. Go ahead. <coughs> I was going to say the, the whole thing of publishing the, the second edition also gave me the opportunity to try different things that I hadn't tried before in the marketing and, and in the releasing of the book as well, which were fantastic opportunities to trace. Did you, did you find that because of it had also been three years, so your audience has grown a bit more? Did you, did you see a lot, um, you know, how, how were sales when you relaunched the second edition, if you want to share? <laughs> I, I think the, I was very happy with the initial sales. I, I used, I pre, did pre-sales uh -huh. for a little bit longer than I anticipated that I needed. But part of it was to um, increase the number of categories mm -hmm. the book was listed on, on Amazon, to give me a chance to see how it looked on Amazon and really just give me a bit of breathing space to go, okay, I can now press go and publish it. Mm -hmm. But it also gave me a greater chance to work with my ARC team. I'd never had an advanced review team before. So that was a, a new experience for me, which taught me a huge amount of things that I would do again and things that I wouldn't do again. And in fact, through the pre-sales of the book, I did a lot of marketing. I had a project with a designer who designed a number of visual images for me with quotes from the books and put those out on Facebook. And that kind of buzz that it generated really worked for me. Yeah. And I was I was I was happy with the the sales that I got. I mean it's a smallish number in the greater scheme of things. Right. I sold um, in the pre-sale stage. I sold over a hundred books. Wow. Um, and I got to number one on Amazon in two different categories. For in total, I think about six or seven days. Wow. Which I was completely mind blown about. I thought <laughs> you, I, it just, I, I didn't expect that, and I was really thrilled by that. But I have also learned that, you know, the next thing that I really need to be working on is building beyond my existing network and looking at reaching into a, a wider audience. Right. And I've kind of stalled on that. You know, I, I published at the end of October last year with the second edition. And I started writing the new book on the 4th of January. And my attention shifted and it just was a question of which do I focus on right and unfortunately it's been the new book that I've been focusing on although yeah. I've been quite sad about that in many ways because I think <laughs> there's still a lot of work that I want to do in getting the a broader um a broader audience for the memoir 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the challenge that many authors face as you, you know, you want to continue writing and finding the balance between continuing to work on your marketing and your audience growth and moving on to the next project. Um, so I'm very curious. You said you realized some things you would never do again using an ARC process. So would you like to share those? <laughs> I, I, as I said, I have a, I'm surrounded by a wonderful community of friends and family. So when I put out a call for people to assist with the ARC team, I had a number of people who said, yes, we'll do it. They stuck up their hands. They were so enthusiastic. The thing was, because I had never done it before, I didn't know some of the realities. And I didn't get as many people as I would have liked because a fellow author who was kind of guiding me through the process said, you need to understand that probably 15, maybe 20% of your team will be actively involved. Right. So I didn't have as big a team to start with. And I think next time around, I would focus on spending more time building the number of people. The other error that I made, and I, it, I don't know if it's peculiar to South Africa, but a number of people don't meet the requirements to review a book on Amazon yes, because they yes. haven't bought enough right. through Amazon. Right. So I had a lot of people who were like, we really want to write a review, but we can't. Right. And I think that was the, the biggest thing is getting that learning and understanding that. And I am really grateful to my team for the support they gave me in sharing and um, commenting on the Facebook posts that I put out and reaching more people that way. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, in terms of increasing the number of reviews, it wasn't as effective as I would have liked. Yeah, we've seen this problem across the launches and and um uh, just a note to listeners one of the things we, we usually post in our in our launch team groups is about a, a couple weeks out saying, "Hey, by the way, if you've never bought anything on Amazon before, if you've never reviewed anything on Amazon before, they will not accept your review. So, if you've bought something, go leave a quick review. Doesn't have to be anything, you know, phenomenal. Just put some reviews on things so you don't look at but the other way around this is Goodreads. And I don't know if you're using Goodreads yet, but we've been um, generating a lot of reviews on Goodreads from people who don't want to use Amazon or can't leave a review on Amazon. So that's something for everyone to look into as well. Um, yeah, I've, I found I had more reviews on Goodreads than I did uh -huh. on Amazon. And, you know, that was part of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, okay, just for a fun question to wrap this up, you've provided so much great information. Um, and that is, you are also a rock star. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, a week after I lost my sight, I joined a rock band. <laughs> you were not wasting any time to get back out there, huh? <laughs> you know, it was something that I'd always wanted to do since I was a very young child, but had never had the courage to do it. Huh. And having lost my sight, it was also at a time when some um, people that I was working with in the part-time job that I was working, which wasn't a bookshop, of course, um, they, they was one of them was starting a band and they kind of said, well, why don't you come and join us? So it was, it was right from that side of things. 
but it was an amazing experience for me because it gave me a chance as I was learning all these new skills of living life as a blind person. Because you really do. You have mm -hmm. to relearn how to do mm -hmm. everything. And when I was playing music, when we were rehearsing with the band or playing gigs, it just gave me the chance of regathering my energy, regathering my confidence, doing something I loved, and then going back out and facing the challenges I had to deal with. Yeah. And I've always said that music kept me, well, I don't want to say sane because I, I think I, I like being a little bit crazy. I don't want to be <laughs> totally sane all the time, but it certainly helped me so much um, to, to deal with the, the realities of becoming blind. That's amazing. I love how something as, uh, as monumental as losing your sight actually gave you more courage. I think many people think it would be the other way around that all of a sudden, you know, you'd be scared of everything. So my hat's off to you. I think your story is just uh, incredible. It's such a, it's, you're such a moving person. And um, I want to make sure that everyone can figure out how to connect with you and find your books and all of those things. So how do they do that? Well, um, the best way to find me is through my website, which is loisstrachen.com, L-O-I-S. S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N.com. I, I have a Facebook page, Lois Strachan Speaker, which I possibly need to look at renaming. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am on Twitter, but not yet on an Instagram. Okay. I'm on Clubhouse. Basically, if you, and of course, the books are all available on Amazon. Basically, if you search for Lois Strachan or a different way of seeing you should find me most places. Well, thank you so much. This has been a very encouraging episode and one filled with a lot of great um, information. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you so much. And it's always wonderful to speak with you. And with you as well, Alexa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the publisher podcast we hope to see you back for the next episode great huge thanks goes to jasmine commerce for the use of her song you can find jasmine on soundcloud go check out all of her music we'll see you next time